Welcome to Southern Fried Fantasy, a podcast for readers and writers, where Southern authors talk about books set in the region they call home. Book lovers beware, your TBR pile is about to get taller than high cotton. All right. I am here, your faithful host, Bob Magoo of Tales by Bob. And this week, I have the pleasure of interviewing VK Fox, uh, another uh, author working in the space. We're excited to have her on here. Uh, VK. Hi. Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, we, you know, you're the, you're the reason we're here. So let's, let's, let's hear all about you. Great. Well, I am a 40-year-old novelist living in rural Virginia. I'm a Virginia native, and I am the author of two different series. Um, One in its completion takes place in a little bit more of an urban space. That's the Words of Power series, which is currently um, out and available on audio. And I am working on a second series uh, called Erie Amosville that was inspired by my hometown of Amosville. And um, it ha- features more rural interactions and characters um, going along with the theme of your podcast here. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, no, I, uh, I've been to Virginia a few times over the years. Uh, growing up, my dad was uh, a big history buff and I inherited that. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> So we we've been to a bunch of the battlefields and 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 things like that up that way. So I mean it's just absolutely gorgeous uh, country. It is, it is beautiful country. <laughs> yeah, roughly what part of the state? Uh, yeah, so I'm in the Piedmont region. I'm about. Okay. Um, I grew up in Annandale, um, kind of a 30 minutes outside of DC. So I okay. grew up about an hour north of having that beautiful Southern twang. Um, I didn't quite get that. <laughs> um, but about 10 years ago, my family and I moved out to the Piedmont area. We are about an hour outside of Shenandoah National Park. Yeah. And um, it is just astonishingly beautiful out here. You know, we have huge swaths of basically undisturbed forest and you can see the rolling Blue Ridge Mountains and there is so much history and just open air. Um, it is, yeah. I never look back. I'm a, I said, tell people I'm a recovering Northern Virginian. So um, <laughs> yeah, it is a good spot out here. Nice. Nice. Yeah. No, I, uh, <clears throat> talking about accent, uh, you know, people down here say I don't have much of an accent. And now, granted, anyone outside of the South says I definitely have one. But uh, <laughs> being being from South Central Alabama, I don't have a strong accent at, at all, especially for the area. And uh, it's because my mom uh, was an Air Force uh, kid, and so she was uh-huh. actually born born in Hawaii. And uh, so she doesn't have a strong accent. So I, you know, they say you inherit your accent from your mother. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I definitely don't judge someone's Southerness by their accent, you know? <laughs> well, I think uh, that's true. Um, my mom, my grandmother was a British immigrant and my mom always had that little bit of British leaning in the way that yeah. she spoke. And my husband says he can still tell when I'm talking to someone from that side of the family by how I affect my words. I guess I subconsciously change it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, mine, uh, my accent comes out when I get, uh, angry, like the matter <laughs> I get, the slower I talk. <laughs> so, yeah, that that that's where mine mine comes out. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Um, so, tell us a little bit about. You said it was Erie Amosville. Yes, Erie. I love that. Um, the city I live in is Amosville, but it's spelled Amisville, like uh-huh. something's gone amiss. And yeah, I just that's perfect. Love that name. Yeah, and um, I grew up watching Erie, Indiana. Um, yeah. And I loved that show. So um, I kind of uh, portmanteaued the two and made yeah. my new series name. Um, so, yeah, it's about a, a young man who works for a branch of animal control that deals with supernatural creatures and um, cryptids. He gets sent out on all the weird calls. And it's oh, about my his, God. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. It's about his oh. it's kind of a monster of the week with some more overarching plot going on as well. And kind of about his discoveries, uh, how he fits into that society and um, focuses a lot on 
Piedmont, Shenandoah, Appalachian folklore and um, cryptids, which I got into cryptozoology oh, with my last book and have just been loving that space. So, oh yeah, yeah. no, you uh, you're you're scratching all my itches. Um, <laughs> one, I, I love and I feel like urban fantasy does this better than any other genre. Um, but where someone takes like a fairly niche job that you wouldn't think of and like throws that paranormal twist on it, you know, where you have, uh, what is it, like Fred, the vampire accountant you have, yeah. uh, you see books about like, uh, paranormal EMTs, you know, yes. things like yes. that. So like a, a paranormal take on animal control is fantastic. Thank uh, you. And, and, and I love cryptids. I'm a, I'm a huge crypto zoology buff. Um, oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is like right now, like on my desk, I have, uh, we have a local uh, fiber artist who makes uh, dolls uh, kind of like almost like plush dolls. And uh, she made a Mothman. And I bought it. So it's sitting here, like right here by where I'm recording. So that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah no, I got so. I got into it with my first book, um, with my first series. I yeah. wanted to feature monsters that weren't werewolves, vampires, or zombies. I just wanted to. I've been I'm 40. I've been reading urban fantasy a long time, and yeah. um, I just wanted to do something a little fresh. So I my um, the cryptid of my heart is Bunny Man, and um, okay. he is from Bunny Man Bridge out in Arlington. I'm not sure if you're familiar. No, that, that, that's a new one on me. Oh, he's um he is a local celebrity, but not well known in the wider cryptid community. Yeah. Um, the story is that um, a convict escaped from a local detention center and dressed up in a bunny suit and started murdering people, either with an ax or a chainsaw, depending on how you, how you go uh, about it. Well, yeah, as you do. <laughs> as you do, um, and would string their bodies up from a particular bridge. And on Halloween night, if you go there, you can still see the ghostly corpses of his murder victims hanging from the bridge. Um, there is some factual evidence behind this story, but over time he has become more of like a um, monstrous amalgamation of those different elements. So an actual giant supernatural bunny with the ax as opposed to a man in a bunny suit. And um, I really... Um, wanted to put him in a book. So yeah. uh, I had the, I have this character um, in the Words of Power series. It's a multiverse type um, scenario where mm. she's gating things in accidentally from other parallel realities. And Bunny Man is one of those things that she accidentally lets in. So, Love you know, it. it's kind of the monster coming through the veil and, um, you know, my heroes have to fight him. And that is one of my favorite fight scenes I've ever written. <laughs> so, oh yeah. No, yeah. that's great. I love that. I, I saw like, I was looking, looking over your books and I saw like, uh, it involves like Arthurian legend, uh, as well. Uh, is that yeah, right? I kinda, yeah. Like, the, the kitchen sink of things I love yeah. um, because the magic system is based on, um, literature. So it's people read books and establish magic powers based on fictional characters. So I could take anything written and turn it into um a magical ability that is fantastic yeah, that is so fantastic i do um arthurian i do a lot of cryptids i do the epic of gilgamesh which is another nice, huge yeah. thing i love i hit baba yaga and some um you know germanic folk tales i um you know i i've, I've even got weird characters like um little nods to watership down in the never ending story. Oh, nice. That, yeah. Just stuff that I'm um, super geeky, super fun. Um, yeah. And the way the magic system was put together, I like building systems. Um, it, it was fun to tease out like, okay, well, what if we were taking this seriously? Well, what would the consequences be? How would this work? And um, it was a really enjoyable series to write and lots of puzzle solving and, and fun hints there too. Yeah. So. Do you uh, do you play any role playing games uh, like um, D and D or such? Uh, of course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, my background is actually in um, storytelling. Uh, I was a professional larper for a little while. Um, nice. Back back when I was young, um, <laughs> before yeah. I had kiddos. Um, but I have been involved in you know the whole table topping realm okay. since a teenager, and I still yeah. I play five E right now. Um, okay. And I was playing Rips until recently, but nice. I always have a couple games going, and I haven't DM'd since I started writing because I think it scratches the same itch for me. It but does. That's, 
yeah, that's what I want out of my books. I want to give the reader an experience. I want to take them on a journey and make them feel things. So that's yeah. really the motivation behind writing that I can share that with a wider audience. Very cool. I'll give you a quick recommendation. A buddy of mine picked up a system called City of Mists. Okay. Uh, and the idea is that you play is like the personification of a, of a concept kind of deal. Or, nice. and, and so like it, it, but it can be like, so for example, we were making, we never played it because um, that's how we are as people, um, but we made characters <laughs> for it. And I made uh, the Fisher King from Arthurian legend, you know, um, cool. so you aren't the actual Fisher King. You're like the personification of that legend kind of deal nice. um, so it it it's not exactly what you did but i think i, I feel like you would run a really good session of that i'm <laughs> definitely gonna look background. that up and um actually i had i did have a gaming company approach me and want to make a tabletop out of words of power so that oh, no, is be... in the works <laughs> yes very <laughs> but, cool um yeah i i love um playing as a pc and as a gm i i have to kind of do both because yeah, no. they fill different needs but yes absolutely <laughs> yeah no i i feel that i uh i i am our current uh, primary dm for our group we're doing Mostly 5e, but uh, mm -hmm. every so often I convince him to play something like Dread or Kids on Bikes or something like that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm it very much does scratch that itch. Like uh, if I'm if if I'm not writing or playing D and D, like I I feel very unfulfilled. Yeah, I I I don't know how I'll describe it, but I'm sure people listening to this, you know, are in the same space that it like it makes you feel like full and like somehow your brain is expanded and you're able to just think on these other levels that, yeah. you know, it gives you these other avenues of, of ideas to explore that you wouldn't have in your first person interaction. So, I mean, that's what reading does too. I mean, it's yeah. all very related. So. Yeah. I, I saw a post somewhere. Uh, I think it was today or yesterday on social media somewhere where someone asked if you knew you would never make any money writing your books, would you still write them? And yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Like uh, if, if you're writing books to make money, spoiler, <laughs> yeah. you're probably not going to. <laughs> no, that's, that's an interesting, um, I think that a, a lot of people um, go into it hoping to make money, but yeah. with other benchmarks of success. I mean, I know I did exactly. too. Um, you know, before I started writing, I thought, well, what, when will I know that I've made it? And my personal um, goal was to have a fandom, you know, when people liked my worlds enough that they wanted to continue to spend time in it after the books were done and they created wikis or yeah. fan art, you know, that's when I okay. knew like, this is it. I've done it. I did what I wanted yeah. to do. And no. um, yeah, oh, so that's that. what's really exciting for me. I, I want to touch on that. Um, so I, for me, uh, I love conventions, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, for me, I, how I'm defining success for me is I want to be a panelist on uh, uh, at DragonCon. Uh, that's awesome. I love DragonCon. I've been a panelist on a bunch of smaller cons. Like to me, like that's the biggest con in the Southeast. That's where, you know, I feel like that for me will be, I have reached a level of success that I will be happy with. But the other thing is I, you know, I've, I'm like, you know, when someone draws some fan art, Mm -hmm. uh, I will feel like I've, I've, I've gotten somewhere and I, on your site, I saw the Tupperware Gollum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I love him. He, so I have a Gollum answer in my books. I really enjoy Jewish mysticism and uh -huh. Gollumancy in general. And she's, um, you know, the books take place in the nineties and there's a plot reason for that, but it was also fun just as a throwback thing. Um, yeah. And she's, so she's a modern gollomancer and she uses modern materials and all kinds of weird Frankenstein like creatures where she makes like a, a explosive golem for breaking into a vault. And she makes um, a sabotage golem to swim underwater and, you know, snip cables on Love a it. on an oil Love rig it. type thing but the tupperware golem is one that she kind of threw together and this is a great story because it ties right into that role playing so in um in book two i have a vault break scene 
um, where it's a heist, you know, that I have my good guys going in trying to steal something that's really well guarded. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to write it as excitingly as I wanted to if I already knew all of the weaknesses and solutions. So yeah. instead, what I did is I designed a, a tabletop mod where I designed the vault. I gave my four PCs resources and I said, okay, see if you can solve it. And I took notes on the scene. Yeah. And wrote the wrote the book scene based on their ideas. And one of the ideas they had, I said, you could have one good golem, or you can have three kind of crappy golems. And they yeah. were like, oh, three crappy golems, definitely. Of course, and, um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so one of the golems they wanted was a portable, uh, you know, something that can move on its own. They could drop something in it, and it would walk away. It would run away and get you know clear the area as quickly as possible. So the Tupperware golem was born. So she makes a golem out of this. Tupperware container for transporting something. So after they pull the thing out of the vault, the idea is they stick it in this Tupperware golem and it runs, it flees the scene and they don't have to deal with it anymore. So um, a fan made a model of the Tupperware golem for me and sent it to me. And it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and he has had, the Tupperware golem has had a, a strangely loyal following. He's a bit hard, <laughs> but he appears in three of the four books, just a yeah. little tiny bit, but um, he has really captured the imagination <laughs> of the fan base to a point where I kind of want to feature him in more stories. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. It, um, you know, it, it snowballed into something magnificent with that, with that model. Yes. So I do, yeah. I have a Tupperware golem. I have someone I love sculpted that. that for me. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. When I saw that picture, I was like, Ooh, I've got, I've got, I got to get the story here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and um, I yeah. take him to my book sales, and he holds my business cards. So um, nice. His, um, his legs come off pretty regularly, and my daughter has to reclue them. But um, that yeah. is that's you know, I think that fits with who he is <laughs> as a golem. <laughs> so if he, if he held together too well, it just wouldn't be in character. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. And you know, like there's a lot of explanations. Like he can't have a lid because having a lid is against the true essence of what a Tupperware is. So he can only have <laughs> aluminum foil. And um, yeah, and um, they did nice. a life sticker. They just wrote life instead of the Hebrew word because they didn't <laughs> want to appropriate. So he just says life on him, um, <laughs> even though the love the, it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a super cool thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that so much. Uh, so to kind of tie it back in a little bit to the to the theme of the of the podcast. So your 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 series you're working on now set in uh, Virginia, kind of rural ish Virginia. Yes. yes. Uh, what are there any elements of like Southern culture that you're maybe trying to showcase or work in or maybe some elements from your growing up, things like that? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I had an interesting experience because growing up, I was a little more urban, even though I was only 30 minutes from where I'm living now. Oh. Um, and there's this strange divide that happens where um, you've got kind of the DC sprawl and then it ends somewhat abruptly. Um, and now I am a little more Southern than I was mm. then, even though it's a very short geographic distance. And um, prior to moving out here, I had a concept about rural culture that was deeply flawed. <laughs> and <laughs> having moved out here and getting to know people, um, I wanted to write about some of them in my stories because people out here are just so incredibly cool and interesting and different than I thought they would be. <laughs> and um, part of that culture is just people being really comfortable with themselves and everybody's sort of just being in it together. Um, you know, you have that, I think we have this like American idea of what neighbors used to be in yesteryear that mm -hmm. is still true in at least this part of rural America where, you yeah. know, you can call up a neighbor and, you know, say, Hey, uh, my driveway snowed in, I have to get to the doctor. Is there anything you can do? And they'd be like, yeah, I'll be right over with my backhoe, you know? And yeah. there's just like this pitching in that happens. And um, I am also, I love a diverse variety of people. And I was worried moving out here that I would lose some of that diversity in my friend group and that the different interesting aspects about me and my family wouldn't be as appreciated by our neighbors as well, which is couldn't be farther from the truth. There's a real sense of just welcoming and um, friendliness and openness out here that I don't feel like gets enough page time or screen time when Southern scenes are featured. 
So yeah. Um, yeah, that can do attitude and that like neighborly attitude are two things that I really wanted to showcase in my writing. Yeah, no, that's definitely something that I'm trying to do with this is because, you know, there's very much a cliche of what's the South, you know, right, right. but rural Virginia is very different from New Orleans, which is very right. different from Tampa, which is very different from North Texas, you know, like every region is so different. Uh, but at the same time, there are some kind of common threads that mm-hmm. kind of connect it all together. So, and that's something I can definitely attest to, like, uh, you know, in my, my, I'm from middle of nowhere, Alabama and, you know, hurricane Opal came through and, uh, you know, blue trees all, all in the roads. And, uh, you know, to get to the nearest town was, you know, 20 miles away, say, and everyone just got out with their chainsaws and just started cutting a road to <laughs> yeah, the nearest town, you know, everybody has a chainsaw. Yeah. That's the other yeah. thing about oh, living yeah. out here that you, you get, you know, everybody's got certain equipment. But yeah. It, I mean, it's oh, yeah. great. It is. It's great. And like, that's, yeah, I've seen the same thing when trees blow down on our road, we live on a little gravel road you know, that doesn't see a lot of maintenance is technically state maintained, mm-hmm. but only very technically um, yeah. when storm brings stuff down, you know, it's cleared by the time people have to go to work. People keep, people keep like saws all in the back of their truck and just yeah. take care of it. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's great. And I can, I can definitely say moving. Uh, uh, I now live in a much more urban environment. Like I live in the Montgomery Metro area and you definitely lose that. Uh, a bit of that when you get to the city, like the, the, it, I don't, I've never lived in, you know, a much larger city, so I can't really attest to there, but um, it's still somewhat present, but not to the degree that it is in the, in the rural areas. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I love out here that um, inspired me to set my most recent series at present day, as opposed to you know, I like writing recent history, like, you know, 90s, 80s. I think yeah. that's really fun. But I wanted to do present day because um, the marriage of agriculture and technology has become really fascinating to me. And yeah. um, like, you know, we have a neighbor who has, you know, thousand acres with I don't even know how many head of cattle, a lot of cattle. And he surveys them with a livestock drone. You know, it's like, so he's got his camera and his remote control and he's flying the drone over to make sure the herd's okay. And there's, there's so many neat things like that. And I, I started to learn it because we kept livestock and um, the large animal vet who was helping us out with various things, you know, would bring this crazy equipment or would say like, Oh, you can do that. Here's the equipment you need. And, you know, would walk me through different things with the animals. And, um, you know, it's this really interesting um, merging of stuff that we think of as very modern and technologically savvy and these really age old practices. Yeah. And I, I, I think going back to the cryptids, how, you know, <laughs> how, you know, drone technology is really assisting in the search for, for cryptids, you know? Um, yeah. The cryptozoology groups are, um, fascinated with those kinds of avenues. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got to, uh, I got to sit on a panel, uh, or I, I like witness a panel at dragon con with Bill Brock, who is a, a Bigfoot hunter. And, awesome. uh, and, uh, I just love this story so much. So I tell everyone, I, every time I get a chance, but how <laughs> he, he got a show on discovery. And the reason he got that show was because, uh, some producers were driving by a field and saw him unloading a dead cow into a field uh-huh. and they stopped to ask him like hey man what are you what are you doing there he said oh i'm i'm trying to catch bigfoot um because i think yeah. we're ju- we've just been <laughs> we've just been using the wrong bait and no, they were like they yes. were like do you want a show <laughs> <laughs> so, i love that yeah yeah but but he was you know and he was in that panel, he was talking about like some of the changes in like how te- as technology, you know, really uh, becomes more accessible, you know, yeah. it, that's the, the, the main thing. I mean, you got to think how, you know, when cell phones first rolled out, you know, how long it took for just everyone to have one and become that accessible thing, something not just in a rich person's car, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and now, now drones are like that. You know, my, uh, my brother has three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they are, the price comes down, right. And, you know, suddenly it's a really cool toy to own. Right. And yeah, it's a neat thing. And it's something, um, I, I 
thought about carefully and addressed in my magic system in my book <laughs> so that, <laughs> nice. that so that the explanations make sense um yeah. i am i will out myself as a deep skeptic although i absolutely respect and am fascinated by people who um are deep into cryptozoology and yeah. other you know ghost hunting and other areas that um of the you know less known world um yeah. i i am yet to be convinced but i oh, am yeah. Open-minded. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I like I, I tell pretty much everyone that like I don't believe in ghosts, but life is a lot more cool with ghosts in it. So <laughs> I just treat them as they are, you know, like, you know, I love the stories. I, I've i gone ghost hunting many a time. Do I really believe in them? Eh, but hey, I'm, I'm open to being convinced, you know? Yeah, I think life's more fun that way. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you don't you don't shut things out. But but yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh are there any of your kind of diving now more into a little bit more of the more i guess the craft side of things a bit yeah. um are there any of your characters that you identify with uh do you are you the kind of person that puts a fair bit of themselves into their books or do you do you keep that separation no um i definitely write from who i am um and part of my character building process is to take one or two aspects of my personality and focus on that and then build a character around, okay, if I, if this person was, um, you know, if these were the defining characteristics, who would this person be? So I identify with all of my characters, including my villains. And yeah. um, I think that that makes for, um, one of my strengths is fleshing out characters and character interactions. Um, and, it makes for a much more relatable story. And ultimately I think that your emotional investment in a story um, can only go as far as you relate to it. Um, and there's some exceptions to that. Like um, there's some genres that just wildly deviate from that. Like sci-fi is really more of a thought experiment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's really like, okay, what if this was true? Let's think about that. But with um, character driven urban fantasy, I think the point is it's like, you know, it's like superheroes in a slightly different setting. You know, they're only interesting insofar as we see ourselves in them. And yeah, they can do other really cool stuff too, but that really serves to underscore their humanity and the parts that we relate to. So yeah. um, I am I am all of my characters. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that is one of the more, you know, I learn a lot about myself writing and that's yeah. sometimes delightful and sometimes terrifying but <laughs> yeah no the my the best therapist i ever had um embraced my like of writing and uh -huh, so uh -huh. she would basically like she would give me a homework assignment every time it's like hey just you know here's a question i want you to think on and just write out the answer and that's that was some of the 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 best in-depth learning of myself i was able to do like by putting it on paper i was able to work through things a lot better than just sitting there being asked all these questions, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, um, so what's, what's your process? Uh, are you more of a plotter, more of a, a pantser? Um, um, yeah, more of a pantser, but I'm a points on a map. Yeah. Um, so I, I get concepts for scenes that really excite me that I want to write. And I write, I don't write my books chronologically. Um, so I, I write the scenes that seem the most interesting to me. And those generally yeah. involve some kind of an introduction scene, which honestly normally gets scrapped by the end because mm -hmm. I don't, when I'm first writing it, I don't know who the characters are or what they're doing yeah. or how they relate to each other. So I, I just pick it as a point to start and go. And then I, I generally write um, some fights because I love writing fights. I love it. And that conflict is important to me. I write some yeah. conversations that I think are going to be key to the character development. I write some romance because I love romance. So I always have romance subplots in my yeah. book. And then from there, I think like, okay, how will all these pieces fit together? And I map out more of a complete arc because um, I also really enjoy complex stories um, and peeling back the layers. Um, my ultimate goal in writing any story is to give the reader that moment where it all goes sideways. You know, when you see the sixth sense for the first time and you realize that Bruce Willis is actually a ghost, right. you know, that, that moment of revelation of the um, obviously inevitable, but still surprising. 
Yeah. That's what I really want. I want to build the dominoes up and then I want to knock them over and I want the reader to realize <laughs> they're getting knocked over about one minute before the character does. Wow. And um, so getting that pacing is really key and a big mm-hmm. part of my focus. And um, I definitely pants my way there. And it means yeah. I end up cutting a lot of words. I probably write, you know, 50% more words than make it into any book. And I have a rigorous review process too, including yeah. developmental editors and tons of beta readers and many rewrites and yeah. So it's, 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 all, it's always so, yeah, it's always so fascinating to me to hear other people's process. Cause I'm, I am also a pantser, but I'm like the opposite of you. Uh, <laughs> I'm always, I'm always so fascinated by people who don't write chronologically. Um, Cause I can't, I absolutely cannot, <laughs> like I've tried it. Cause it, I, the way you laid out there, it just makes so much sense. You know, you, you hit those high points and then you fill in, to, mm-hmm. to pay to pace it properly and that clicks you know you uh, that makes perfect sense and then when i sit down to try and do it it's it's a complete non-starter um <laughs> and, no, I... and, and so I, I i love that and uh i'm also uh whenever i go in to do edits i'm almost always adding words instead of taking i mean oh interesting i See, i, 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 I do take out some but for every like sentence i take out i typically will add in two or three sentences somewhere else. No, I've learned that if I'm looking at a scene and it isn't landing, my first course of action should be to cut about 30% of it. Um, Because when, when I'm discovering what's going on, I tend to tell, to write some of it for me. You know, I tend to, I'm like conveying to myself as the author, some things that are happening and the reader Mm -hmm. doesn't need all that, you know, like I'm over explaining. I'm over, you know, there's too much exposition and -hmm. I like have to go through and weed it out and make it an actual experience that the reader, you know, wants to go on as opposed to a a research paper that I did for the book. Right. And, and that's hard. That's that's hard to do, hard. <laughs> especially if you come from a uh, like a D and D or role playing background. So so much world building goes into that. Uh, yeah. And then when you transition that to writing, you wind up with world builders disease where you've written 90% more about the world than anyone will ever need to know, but you love it so much because you spent so much time on it. And I think that shows through. I had a fan tell me recently that she appreciated all the words that she never gets to see because they show through on the page. And like, that was meaningful to me because it's like, oh, so you get that. Like, I mean, when I'm working out like my magic system, I have mathematical equations and flow charts and like everything because I want it to feel consistent. Now the reader's never going to see any of that, yeah. but the, the consistent feeling comes through and that's, what's really, you know, really important. Yeah. I, I read a, a neat bit of advice that's going to tie into something specific to you. And so I'm, I'm glad this came up. Um, they, they said basically uh, two questions of depth is what you need at, at a minimum, but really all you need to convey depth to a reader. So, you know, the, the example they used were there's vampires in the city. They can't go out in the daylight question. Well, why can't they just use the sewers? Mm-hmm. And the answer was because there are uh, gators in the sewers. Mm-hmm. And then, the, well, why don't the vampires just take care of the gators? And the answer was because there are uh, nuns. It, there are gator nuns in the sewers or something like <laughs> right. that yeah and yeah that that maintain the gators kind of deal and so you know it's like oh okay well that's that provides enough depth it hints at so much more like why why are there nuns with gators in the sewers you know yeah but the and reader needs the reader doesn't <laughs> have to know that but it implies it and that brings me to uh gun nuns Gun nuns, yes. <laughs> My sister's a perpetual help in words of power. Um, I love warrior nuns. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm a Catholic. Um, uh, was Eastern Rite until fairly recently when we switched over to the Ukrainian Rite. But uh-huh. um, I love, uh, I call it Catholic fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> Catholic mythology. Um, I like all the trappings. I like the, the oh, relics no, I'm with you. and the, the crosses and the prayers and the, and I also really, really like my characters to use guns. I know it's like increasingly taboo in urban fantasy, but I, yeah. I just, I grew up reading, you know, Larry Korea. That was some of my first um, urban fantasy. And I yeah. just, in, I enjoy a good gunfight with magic thrown in. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Um, 
so, you know, I wanted, I wanted, um, when I had the super, the idea of like the real world and then all of these other multiverse layers and words of power, I wanted, um, religious protectors of reality. And I, I needed a force that would play a counterpoint to my ancient Sumerian cult paration, who was, you know, really dubious and morally gray and corrupt. And I came up with, um, with gun nuns. And (laughs) so um, they play, I have one um, main character who's in all four books. Um, Her name's Sister Mary. And I like her because she's, she's, you know, in her forties and she's um, a sniper um, and, you know, she has tattoos and, you know, she's not your typical, I didn't want to do the sexy nun thing um, because that's just, wasn't really the flavor I was going for, but um, I took inspiration from, um, special ops forces and then like i don't know if you're familiar with like the warhammer 40k sisters of yeah, battle uh, oh very much so yes uh, yes, yes. Uh, so if you take those things and kind of smash them together <laughs> yeah that's 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 what i was using and yeah. um yeah she's a great character and it's funny because the book has a lot of religious trappings but it is not a religious book um uh. or book series um you know there are characters who have faith but there are also characters who do not have faith or who have different faiths. I have my three point of view characters. One's um, agnostic leading polytheist, one's secular humanist, and one's kind of non-practicing Catholic. So yeah. I have, I have, those are my three, you know, points of view that I cover. Yeah. And, you know, they're all, they're all good people in different ways yeah. and they all make mistakes in different ways. So um, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I saw one review on the first book where the woman didn't understand why my main character was cussing so much. She's like, this is supposed to be a book of faith. I'm like, <laughs> I think maybe you picked up the wrong book. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh but yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah. And I was, I've been happy to see gun nuns having a um, uptick in, in media in general. I, you know, yeah. the new Dracula that came out, I think had some warrior well, nuns and well, yeah. so uh, one of my hobbies is creating one sheet RPGs and <laughs> I actually made a one sheet RPG called nuns with guns. Nice. It's, it's like post post-apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, Very nice. The, those old like seventies and eighties nun exploitation flicks yeah. kind of yeah. deal. Like just oh, totally over the top. Yeah. So um, my over my over the top thing that I did with mine is I gave them all very Catholic first names and guns as their as their last names. So Sister Mary Benelli is my main character. Nice. I picked, I picked guns that were like, yeah, it could pass as like a sister, yeah. maybe. Yeah, but I, I love sister, that. Yeah, Sister Frances Ruger. Um, I, I have <laughs> Sister Browning. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> love that. I enjoyed love that. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I, Let's let's touch on that for a second, if if you're if you're open to it. So I yeah. was raised uh, Mormon mm-hmm. in the de- in the deep south, um, and uh, so we were. I was definitely an outsider when it came to religion. And actually, in my school, the only denomination that had fewer uh, members of it than Mormon were Catholic. There were mm-hmm. uh, there were only two Catholics in our whole school of like eight hundred, um, and they had to they had to drive to Montgomery to go to church, I believe. Uh, and so, but I, I think that growing up as somewhat of an outsider denomination in the South, mm-hmm. uh, definitely made me more tolerant, I guess, in a lot of ways, um, more, <laughs> more, more, more open to just different walks of life, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if, I, I'm not sure how, uh, prevalent Catholicism was in the area where you were growing up, but I wonder if you had any sort of similar type experience. Yeah. um, So my family background is a little bit different in that um, I, my mom was a convert and she converted um, when my sister, my oldest sister was um, 10 years old, I think. So I was a baby at the time, but um, she was a Catholic convert and my dad is non-practicing. So he comes from the Italian Catholic side, but Uh um, he um, had issues with some of the core beliefs of the faith and decided that although he respected the church as an entity that had lasted for longer, he always said like, there's got to be some truth to it because it's lasted so long. That was kind of his outlook, but he couldn't reconcile a lot of what the teachings were. So he's a, um, he went to church most Sundays um, to kind of seek wisdom and 
try to figure it out. But um, we were raised, you know, in, a, I think, probably a uh, more accepting household than um, some other Catholics that I have met um, yeah. as an adult. And, it, you know, it's it's a huge religion, right? You've right. got a vastly wide variety <laughs> of people and oh, yeah. outlooks and everything. Um, and of me and my siblings, you know, three of the four of us have, have stuck with it. Yeah. Um, but we've all become very different people as adults too. So, um, yeah, it's, it has been interesting that that little move 30 minutes South has took me from being kind of in the comfortable median of, you know, oh yeah, there's lots of Catholics around here too. Mm. Wow. There's a lot of Baptists. Um, and yeah, and it's, it is a little bit different. Um, it's not bad. It's just different. And, um, it's led to some interesting conversations because, uh, instead of people pretty much understanding, you know, what my beliefs are, what I'm about, it's led to a lot of interesting conversations where people are like, Oh, Hey, I've heard this. Tell yeah. me more about that. You know, that's oh, wow. Well, yeah. No, I've, that's definitely been my experience. Um, everyone has their understanding of what, uh, Mormonism is yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they, they want you to confirm it. And, uh, nine times out of 10, there, there are some glaring inaccuracies. <laughs> in right. what they've heard. So. But, I mean, that's all, I think that's all good. Like I, I like that kind of thing. And I like having open dialogue because I feel like if we're all trying to understand each other, I mean, yeah. how can that be a bad thing? Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely, <laughs> I remember. So we, we were converts, uh, uh, and uh around the time i was eight was when we converted and uh so my my dad was kind of a leading figure in the community um and so it it was a bit of a shock when he became mormon uh in our you know fairly fairly baptist methodist family and uh when mitt romney was running for president uh you know, we had cousins like, well, I just can't vote for him because he's a Mormon. And, <laughs> and it's like, you, but you realize that you have a whole cousin of, uh, you know, a whole family of cousins that are that are Mormon and just how they couldn't reconcile that. You know, it's like, well, y'all yeah. are different, you know, yeah, yeah. y'all are, to, to go with the, the cliche, but well, y'all are some of the good ones, you know, right. and it's like, right. uh, do, you, do you not see the disconnect there? And so. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience to say the least. Um, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, but. Well, you have um, to talk about religion and politics at the same time. So <laughs> that's always right? fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, it was, it was it, politically at the time we, we fit the, we fit the, the community mold, shall we say, but religion, we were very much the outsiders. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you, so I, my background is, uh, I have a degree in anthropology and, uh, a degree in music industry. And so music is one of my great, great, great passions. And so I always like to ask, do you play music when you write? And if so, what do you like to listen to? Yes. So I write in, um, deep point of view. So it is, it is third person limited, yeah. And um, the voice I use while writing, although I narrate something like, you know, she picked up the cookie and took a bite. All of the words that I select are filtered through the viewpoint of the character who I'm featuring at the right. time. Um, so I have a playlist for each of my characters and I play yeah. the playlist while I'm writing for that character because it helps put me in the right headspace for picking the right vocabulary, for thinking about the right things, for expressing with the right words, because I want those flavors to be really different and unique. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Uh, so talking about the the most urban fantasy these days uh, tends to be first person, at least in my experience, I'd say that that tends to be the norm uh your experience mm-hmm. of course may differ um uh, and like so i write in first person when i write urban fantasy other stuff i i like my steampunk is typically uh, uh third person limited for example mm-hmm. um what made you choose do you do you only write third person limited or was that more of a conscious decision just for these books or is how, how did you make that call um it felt right for the series that i was writing um mm-hmm. And 
I've continued with it because I really love it. Um, yeah. I think that there's, I, I'm, I haven't, I have tried writing in first person and I think that it's a skill I can hone if I worked at it enough, but I feel like um, I can lay out a story more skillfully from third person limited. And yeah. um, part of that plays into um, how I want to reveal things and that pacing that I was talking about again, you know, peeling back those layers and giving mm-hmm. hints to the um, reader that, you know, the character doesn't necessarily see. And mm-hmm. part of it's just what I enjoy reading. Um, I yeah. think I like a third person viewpoint more. Um, and I think you can get all of the flavor of a first person viewpoint in third person if you do it skillfully enough. I think Gideon the Ninth is a great example of that. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I, yes, I loved I loved Gideon the Ninth. Uh, kind of bounced off the sequel. I did uh, as well. And I think yeah. it's because, I mean, no spoilers, but I deeply loved Gideon. And yeah. um, well, I, I could think- not make the shift <laughs> yeah I, I, for me i think my i know i know exactly what my big problem was i spent too long in between reading the books and i had mm. i remembered just enough to know that no spoilers but things were off shall we say yeah. Yeah. but i couldn't remember to what degree and I, I i wound up a confused mess but that said i am very much looking forward to reading uh, i think it's nona the ninth is what's coming up i next. am i am my curiosity is peaked there too although i don't know if i'll pick it back up i am um, i went right from one to the other they were both out when i started and i yeah. think i have i have difficulty shifting um, funny because I just said I write third person and I write right. multiple points of view, but I have yeah. difficulty shifting um, between. Yeah. I have to be really attached to the characters, and I am. Uh, are you familiar with the Heart Spade Club and Diamond? You know, reader gamer. You know, framework for what you get out of a story. Okay, all right. So, no. um, so this sums up people who play video games, tabletop games, read books, everything. Um, there's the four suits of cards represents four types of people who are getting different things out of the story. So your diamond is one who wants fantastic, shiny treasure and discovering wonderful, you know, um, delightful, amazing things and, Mm -hmm. you know, sparkling descriptions and really cool stuff. And your clubs wants, um, they want to fight. They want the big, you know, brawls and the massive monsters and the boss fights. And your spades wants intrigue and they want um you know secrets and they want uh political machinations and betrayal and your hearts want um they want to connect with the character and they want developing character interaction and they want to be with those characters for the long haul so Mm -hmm. i am i am a heart all the way i um i get very invested in characters and when the when things shift um it if I don't love the next character, it can throw mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah. So definitely I've read series where I've loved more than one character and it's totally yeah. worked, but getting in the ninth was unfortunately not yeah. one of those. It well, did not connect. Well. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I definitely feel like if, if you're writing multiple viewpoint characters in a, in a, in one book, especially third person limited just does that so much better. I feel mm-hmm. like, like I, I, if, if my series had multiple viewpoint characters, I would not have done it in first person. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I, I really feel that that's yes. You, yes. I mean, romance, some people do it great. Typically like romance yeah. is done multiple viewpoints, first person, almost always, yeah. but it's not my favorite part of that genre either. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and in book one, I just have two viewpoints. I have um my, my character who's, you know, my, heroine who's introducing people to you know going from the from knowing nothing about magic to being plunged into the supernatural world um so that's how i take the reader through the paces of like okay here's what's going on and then i do it from the villain standpoint too which allowed me to um have some really fun scenes i wouldn't have been able to have otherwise like the big climactic final bunny man fight scene is told through the villain's eyes not through the hero's eyes love it so um i wanted to be able to um flip things around and show people a different angle on it because um she's she's something of a tragic villain and she's an interesting voice um yeah. you know so uh i wanted to be able to explore those areas more and I, I do i do love when we get to see from the 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 bad guy's perspective yes <laughs> i love that too yeah and um i love bad guys who who stay rotten 
who don't, you know, reform and turn good. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. enjoy that. And I love, I do love redemption arcs as well. So I have, I have one of those in later books, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that was, um, I stand by that choice, even though I know that for some small percentage of people, it's probably a deal breaker, but you know, you yeah, can't no. wait for everyone. So <laughs> exactly. Like, I like, that's kind of how I view it is, you know, I, I, I sat down to write the books that I want to read and I, I fully acknowledge I'm a weird dude, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, I know that there are, you know, if 0.001% of everybody in America bought my book, I'd be a rich person right now, you know? Yeah. Like there's so many people. Exactly. Find find your people, you know? And so that's, that's what this podcast is all about. Finding, (laughs) finding the people that are kind of working in the same space as me. So we can, we can all just kind of build each other up, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I'd rather have a cult following than be a New York times bestseller any day of the week. Oh, 100%. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's that like, I, I, I joke that I don't necessarily want to write for a living. I want to attend conventions for a living. (laughs) Because um, I love convention culture so much, um, and so I feel like that's where you're really successful at conventions is when you when you build up that really like cult following. You know that that yeah. that's the yeah. dream. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, one of one of my author heroes is a man named John Hartness, and um, he frequently talks about how he, no matter how quickly he writes books, he cannot keep up with the pace of a reader. Oh, yeah. So there's always room to be sharing the love around. So I want to know one, who is an author hero of yours? And then who is an author that we need to be checking out that, that we might not have heard of? Oh my gosh. I, uh, Oh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And, and um, hey, you don't, you do not have to limit it to one. Don't, don't feel constrained. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if it takes a few spots, you know, there's plenty of love to go around. So Okay. Um, are, are there any, yeah. Are there any constraints on these questions? Do I need to? No, pick? no, uh, okay, no. All go, right. go. Just do, answer how you feel it needs to be answered. Okay. There's no, there's so, no wrong answer. <laughs> an author hero of mine is, um, and this is going to come off a little bit funny because um, I write more adult stuff. So I do not want anyone listening to this to confuse the matter and think that my work is appropriate for children in any way, shape or form. It's certainly not. <laughs> um, but an author here of mine is Rick Riordan um, oh, yeah. of the, um, the Percy Jackson and the Olympians and many other um, mythologies, um, both because uh, there's three reasons. The first is that he, I am a huge history geek and he takes those, those myths and legends and ties them in, in just this hilarious contemporary way. Um, He doesn't take himself too seriously and the result is absolutely delightful. The second is that he is not afraid to feature a huge range of characters that are, you know, and they weren't all hits for me. I didn't love every one of his characters, but I really appreciated the variety and Mm -hmm. the way that he um, fully fleshed out so many different types of people in his books. And I felt like that was, again, the heart in me loved that. Um, And the third is that uh, although they are um, PG rated, his fight scenes are so funny and um, they are a template for a lot of what I try to do when I'm writing because he incorporates the environment in a really delightful and wonderful way to the action. And that's something yeah. that I feel like gets missed a lot when you're dealing with a brawl is, you know, you've got your, you've got your opposing forces, but what about where they are and how does that get used and how does it yeah. play in? And um, that has been just a massive inspiration for me um, in writing, in Love writing um, fight scenes, which I very much enjoy. So yeah. that is, that is, and also he's just massively prolific and I'm, I'm oh, yeah. so impressed. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> so impressed definitely. with that. Um, so, as far as um, someone that should be checked out. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to go for um, two authors that were yeah. very, that both wrote single novels that were very influential to me. Mm. Um, and um, I think that although they are fairly widely read, um, everybody everybody could 
could read and find something to enjoy about these novels. Okay. Um, and the first is Susanna Clark, who wrote um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yeah. And um, if you are a fan of urban fantasy, although that is not a contemporary urban fantasy, um, you need to check it out because yeah. um, she does just a beautiful, beautiful job of tying in this really rich world mythology through the a device of footnoting different parts of the book and then spinning mm. these big, long tales that support the prose of the, the modern yeah. day. And um, her willingness to take things to the logical extreme and show what happens when magic is used and what the consequences of it are both hilarious and terrifying is just captivating and marvelous and she also represents fairies in a way that i think since i read it maybe 15 20 years ago it, it was like at the peak of what fairies could be in my mind yeah. and i have never read another depiction of fae that has been yeah. as enthralling and terrifying and whimsical and wonderful all at the same time yeah. so that was that's one that i think everybody should check out it's one of the very few books i've read more than once yeah I do have a copy of it. Uh, it popped up on. I'm a. If I see you know any book that even vaguely catches my eye when it pops up on sale on Kindle, yeah. I yeah. I snap it up. And it so is, I I, I do have it. Yeah. It's slow to start. I put it down once and picked it back up. I would say you gotta if, gotta if you are it. the kind of person that wants um, things you know happening right away. There's a lot of setup, but um, I will tell you that by the time you make it to um, the statues and the church being animated, you are well on your yeah. way and you okay. should continue on. It was well, a wonderful, I, wonderful book. I did read, uh, Pir I'm probably saying it wrong, but Piranissi by her. I have not read that one. I'm like, so I have read it too. <laughs> well, from <laughs> what I understand, they're very different books. Um, yeah, very different. And I understand that also. Um, it's that the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is so dear to me that yeah. I almost hesitate to pick something else up. I don't, I yeah. just like kind of want to preserve. I am going to read it. It's in my Kindle. I am going to do it I, I did. But. <laughs> I, I will say, take it for what it's worth, but I did really enjoy it. I thought good. it was a really, good. a really good tale. So. I've heard very positive things about it, but yeah. um, I'm, it's like, you know how, when you love something like as a child, sometimes you don't want to go back and see it again as an adult, like a oh, yeah. movie or a, a book or whatever. I, I feel that way, like that protectiveness about this story. And like, oh, yeah. so I worry about reading more of her work, although I have heard very positive things about yeah. uh, her second novel. No, I, I, I definitely get that. Yeah. And the second one that I think that everybody um, should check out um, is uh, the, the first book um that made me cry for about a week afterwards. And ultimately I read things to feel things um, mm -hmm. that my main uh, motivation in reading is because it, it gives me those emotions that, um, you know, I don't have to do the thing. I just experience the emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was Song of Achilles. And um, I devoured that book. I think I stayed up like all night reading it. Um, and I had never actually read the Iliad, although I have read the Odyssey. Mm. And I've heard this described as Iliad fanfic. And I think that's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> um, and it's one of the only books that you know, it's going to end badly before it starts. Yeah. Um, but the author makes you hope that it won't. Mm. <laughs> and that is a trick. <laughs> yeah, that is, it is. And there were um, several moments in that book where I had to put it down and just think for a minute. Mm. I just had to like collect myself. And then um, I got to the end and I burst into tears. And um, I was like 3am in the morning at that point. My husband yeah. wakes up. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I just <laughs> and um, it went on for like more than a week afterwards, I would say, like, I'd be putting Greek yogurt in my cart at the store, and I'd, like, get all teary-eyed and choked up, and, yeah. you know, it was touch and go for a while there, but um, yeah. if you read to experience emotional highs and lows, that is definitely one. Um, the, the writing is beautiful. The language is beautiful. Um, I, it, in case you couldn't tell from my first answer, I love mythology yeah. um, retold, um, and it's a really, really interesting different look at at some fascinating greek mythology so, yeah yeah i enjoyed no, that I'll, I'll just scope that out that sounds really intriguing more heavy um, on the romance than um yeah, yeah I, and but you know i i'm a sucker for romance so right right <laughs> uh, so uh this is not directly book it's kind of book related but um 
I'm uh, you, you can't see me here, but I'm a uh, portly lad, and uh, <laughs> I saw your fantasy recipe cooking section. Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I have started doing that, and it has been fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely intrigued. Uh, will we be getting a fantasy recipe cookbook at some point? I hadn't gotten that far. Um, yeah. I have actually. Um, I started this for TikTok content yeah. <laughs> because I wanted to do something really fun and different and themed urban fantasy. So instead of just cooking recipes for any book, which has been done before, I, I'm specifically picking urban fantasy or fantasy related books and yeah. um, doing recipes out of them. So um, I've done um, Mac steak sandwiches from the Dresden files. Mm -hmm. I've done um, Ambrosia from the lightning thief. I've done uh, true blood smoothie from yeah. the Southern vampire chronicles, I've done a bunch yeah. of other ones. Um, and I've got new ones coming out all the time. I've got the ingredients to make a bunch more now. And I thought yeah. I really, really like doing it and it's yeah. fun. And um, I'm, I'm a good cook. I'm a good baker and I like coming up with my own recipes anyway. So yeah. everything you're seeing up there is, my own spin on it. And the first couple I was thinking, oh, I just want to make this as easy as possible for people who are maybe daunted by being in the kitchen. Yeah. But kind of as I got more into it, I've gotten a little fancier with some of the yeah. stuff I'm doing. Um, still tried to keep it fairly, fairly beginner friendly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been enjoyable. It's just sort of a way for me to, to do something I really enjoy and connect with other people who enjoy both food and those books. Because, yeah. um, the books that I'm picking are ones that I think like, oh, if they liked Dresden, they might like my stuff too. So, yeah. you know, I'm pulling people in that way. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, I, I really, if you're listening to this, you really should pop by here. And food interests you at all. You really should pop by and look at that <laughs> section you. on the side. Um, I, I, I am one of those, I'm fairly intimidated um, by the kitchen if I can't cook it in an air fryer. I'm, <laughs> if, if I can cook it in an air fryer, I'm all in. Um, and I'm, I'm steadily becoming, uh, of the belief that there's nothing other than soup that you, uh, can't cook in an air fryer. And um, if you so, cook any of the recipes I have in an air fryer, please let me know. I'm, okay. I'm interested. My oven has an air fry setting, but I haven't messed with it too much. Yeah, so, no, I, um, I'm, ooh, all, I'm all, I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm on, um, I'm urban fantasy book talk on TikTok, and that is where I'm posting recipes and then I've got them detailed about on my website as well very cool well let's let's talk about that real quick where can people find you uh your give give us your uh site address your socials that kind of thing and all this stuff will be in the uh, uh podcast uh blurb so okay well. awesome yeah um so as i said urban fantasy book talk at tiktok um i am on facebook um at VK Fox, that's V as in Victor, K as in King, and then Fox is in the animal. Um, I'm also on Instagram, and um, I think it's also VK Fox there. And um, all of my socials are linked at the top of my website, which is uh, VK and then a hyphen fox.com. And um, I do have a YouTube as well, where I post urban fantasy related interviews. Um, a lot of my research for my work involves things like calling up the local large animal vet and asking how they would treat a werewolf if they found one injured in the wild and, you know, getting, getting good information about um, people who would su be suddenly thrown into supernatural scenarios. And I've started recording those interviews and posting them on YouTube as well. So love that. Love that. Yeah, I saw, I saw that on your site that you've got an interview with a cryptozoologist coming up. So. I do. I do a lovely Irish cryptozoologist who unexpectedly made me cry. Um, and he was just talking about like the loss of magic and like growing up and like not believing in things anymore. And it was so, so touching. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. It caused me to tear up a little bit, but he was a fascinating fellow and, um, it, interesting that in Ireland they teach, um, magic right alongside just truthful cautionary advice to children. So he yeah. actually believed in, you know, in the Fae until he was like 10 or 11. And it's yeah. an interesting, interesting viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's something to look forward to. If you want to hear all about that, maybe uh, get a little tear in your eye as well. Uh, <laughs> go by VK hyphen Fox and all the links are there. Um, VK, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute delight. 
Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, uh, I have to get you back on again sometime uh, once the once the book is out, and then we can do maybe a little bit deeper dive uh, into the the nitty gritty. I'd love to. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, everyone. Uh, until next time. Uh, thanks for coming out. for taking the time to check out another exciting episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. If you would, you know the drill. Give us a like, subscribe, follow, all that jazz. We'll appreciate you. Until next time, y'all. is part of the Tales by Bob network. To see all our great shows, go to talesbybob.com.